This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and if you tend to tune into the radio about this time every week, you might know or recall that March is Women's History Month, and throughout this month, I've wanted to call your attention to and celebrate wonderfully accomplished women who are making their mark. And today, I want to introduce you to Iyabo Ojikutu. She is an Atlanta-based pediatrician, but the reason that she's here is to talk about her book, Permanent Happiness, The Only Way to Find Peace, Joy, and Your Life-Given Purpose. She has a remarkable story, and I don't want to steal any of her thunder, so, uh, Welcome to Perspectives. Thanks so much, Candice. It's such a pleasure being here with you today. So now, as you now hear, Dr. Ojikutu has an accent. She was born in Lagos, Nigeria, went to medical school at the age of 16, finished at the age of 23, and opened her own medical practice here in Atlanta, where she's been practicing since 2004. How did you end up practicing uh, pediatrics here in Atlanta? Uh, So, well, the journey started in Lagos, Nigeria. I obviously, I had an affinity for the science subjects in school, and I I had an uncle then who was a famous pediatric neurosurgeon in Nigeria, and he kind of, you know, spurred me on to become a doctor. But it was a no-brainer, really, once I started medical school. There were so many ill kids that had no no chance in life, so, so much poverty going on. I just knew that in the end, I was going to end up helping those children in some form. So after finishing medical school, I had the dream of leaving, you know, leaving the country for um, for better opportunities, and I ended up in England first. And and that's where I started my real career in pediatrics. And I finished pediatrics there, then moved to the States five years after, which was in 98. And I had to complete a pediatric residency in the Bronx, in the South Bronx in New York, and then moved here in 2001. And I've been here since then, opened my practice in 2004. So I've been serving kids really since I graduated medicine at the age of 22. When did you know that you had a passion for caring for kids? Because it's one thing to have a dad who says, yes, honey, I want you to be a doctor just like me, but then finding that specialty. The first day I stepped into the children's emergency room at my medical school in Nigeria was the day I decided I was going to be a pediatrician because I saw these kids helplessly coming in with parents who had no choice. They, they just they were living in poverty. Kids were dying from simple things like gastroenteritis that you could treat with Pedialyte, you know, with fluids and just with better hygiene. They would come in and they were already dead. So I just knew that at that point I had to do what I could in any part of the world to contribute to the lives of children. When our listeners think about uh, countries like Nigeria, other countries in Africa, and we see images of, of, of people living in poverty, I'm not sure that we always have the right perception of what that situation is like. So describe the difference between your experience with those children living in poverty in Nigeria mm-hmm. versus what is typically coming to mind when we think about people living in, the, in, in a U.S. inner city living in poverty. Okay, so they're very similar, uh, really very similar. It's just that in the developing countries, there's a lot more poverty. So kids are dying from malnutrition. I guess over here in the developed countries, we're dealing with malnutrition in a different form. 
<laughs> it's it's really different because we're also eating foods. There's a lot of food, but there's a lot of unhealthy foods. But in the developing countries, there's just not enough food, really. So it's they're similar, but also unrelated. If you if you really think about it, so poverty from no food at all, eating rice and drinking water every day will make you malnourished because you have protein deficiency. But over here in the developed countries, we're just eating way too much, too many foods that are unhealthy for us, and kids are getting sick from morbid obesity. So it's 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 kind of you know that that's really how I look at it and. Both really need an intervention as medical providers in different ways, obviously, but both are really not good for our kids. So now how do you go from being a successful practicing pediatrician here in the city of Atlanta to, to deciding that I have a thought and I want to share it with people and you write this book, Permanent Happiness, the only way to find your peace, joy and your life given purpose. And, you know, I'm going to ask you, have you found that? Yes. OK, so how did I write that book? Ah. Yeah, it's, I, been a couple of years, it's been a couple of years since you, you've written the book. You it's, said it was late 2015 when yes, you did this. Yes, I started writing Permanent Happiness in December of 2015. I've been a doctor most of my life, as you've already heard. <laughs> I've written medical prescriptions, too many to count. I've journaled for many years, but I'd never written a structured book until my lovely dear father passed mm. in October of 2015. I was really close to my dad. He was the best dad any child can dream of. I, I'll say that until the day that I departed from this earth. My dad was wonderful. But he passed in October 2015. He was 86. He lived a wonderful life. But still, I thought my dad was going to live forever. Honestly, I didn't know he was going to be gone. So I was grieving. I was spending a lot of time alone. I didn't really want to be around other people. And one glorious, magnificent day in December 2015, I had my laptop on my lap. And I'm just typing thoughts about my father, just trying to stay connected with his spirit. And that's how a voice just started telling me, write about happiness, write about how you found happiness, about how you're maintaining peace with the passing of your father. And that's how permanent happiness started. And I was done before the end of February. So I wrote that book, about 50,000 words in two months. Now you say peace is permanent happiness. And then you write happiness is good, but is not enough. Peace is good and is enough. So you've gone on this journey and mm-hmm. found that special place. Yes. Yes, I have. I believe I have. Obviously, we all works in progress. I'm still a work in progress, but I believe that I know what peace feels like. And I know that happiness that we all talk about every day, I want to be happy, I'd like to be happy, is really temporary happiness. Because most of us haven't really found that the real peace, the real permanent happiness comes from within. There's not much without of us, outside of us, that we can really control, but we can control the way we react, especially in this day and age. It's always been true, but in this day and age, there's so much, there's so much chaos and turmoil happening without us, outside of us, that we really have to know how we can find that internal peace so that we can radiate the external happiness to others and help them find their peace as well. So really happiness is good, but it's not enough. But peace is the ultimate. That's the ultimate state. So tell me a little bit more about your journey. What sort of things did you do in your life, changes did you make to begin to step into this transformation of finding this inner peace and this happiness and this joy that you have? Mm And I have those steps in my book. They're simple steps, but they're not easy. But that's how I've been able to. And you don't reach that state. It's a constant journey, like Condis just said. So every day that I wake up, 
I find a way to nourish my spiritual self and my physical self. And obviously, I can't go into all those details, but we all know that our spirit is our core and our physical body is what protects that core. So I I found different ways to make sure that those two are balanced. And then, and this is a biblical term, and I know not all of us are Christian, but really it, it applies to everyone. There's the Bible verse, Galatians 5, 22, you know, um, maintain the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. It doesn't take that much to, you know, have a smile on your face, be kind, be good, be gentle, be patient, listen to others, you know, be a good listener. So I try to practice all those and just really change my character from inside out. And then the last one is really about service and influence. If you're not influencing other people every single day, even if it's just a thank you, hi, smile, how can I help you? You're really not going to thrive. So those are the the three steps that I try to practice every day. You talk about challenging readers to be the change that our children need. What do you mean by that? Ah, that's a really big one. And I think if everybody practiced that, our world would be so different. I think we'd be much closer to world peace if we did that. So our kids are watching us. Our kids um, will do what we do, not really what we say. Be, uh, they, they probably would do both, but it's best for us to be that example to our kids. So if you're telling a kid... Uh, you know, get off drugs, you know, study, go to bed at this time, get off social media, be kind to others, then you need to be practicing all that too. So if you're acting a certain way and asking your kids to do the things that they don't see you practicing, it's never going to work. Change starts from within each of us and then change starts from each family unit. We're not going to change the world from outside inside. We're going to change the world from inside out. So, And what's the family unit? It's us and our kids in every form, you know, single, same-sex parenting, uh, heterosexual parents. It's all, all, that family unit is sacred. And that's why I say be the change our children need because it has to start from each family unit. Clearly you had an outstanding relationship with your father, but you haven't said very much about your mom. Oh, my mom is wonderful. My mom's still alive. She's now she's actually 86 this year. She calls me like five times a day. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way moms and daughters are. I talk to my mom five times a day. (laughs) She calls me from Lagos, Nigeria, many times a day, trying to check up on me to make sure I'm okay. And I'm like, I should be the one checking up on you, mom, to make sure you're okay. But thanks. But yes, my mom is wonderful. She's still alive and I love my mom. Brothers and sisters, tell me more about your family. Yes, so I'm the youngest of five siblings. Um, One is deceased, so I have two brothers. I'm sorry, I have two sisters and one brother, but I'm I'm the youngest of all, all the siblings. And they all live back in Nigeria. I have a sister who goes back and forth between Atlanta and Nigeria. She has children who are settled here and a couple in college in the States. So um, I have a wonderful family. I do. So when you told your family that you were going to study in in England and then settle here in the U.S. and leave Nigeria. How'd they feel about that? 
Oh, they were fine about it. I had a family that traveled a lot. From the time I was in nursery and elementary school, I traveled to England every summer holidays because my parents owned a home there and um, we traveled all the time. My, my older siblings went to school in other parts of the world. My older sister went to school in Geneva, in Switzerland. My other siblings were in England. So it was already part of the family. You came from an affluent family. So I'll correct that a little bit. My uncle was a neurosurgeon. My parents, neither of them went to college. My mom could neither speak nor write English, but I'm telling you, she was the most intelligent woman that I've encountered. Beautiful and intelligent. She couldn't write or speak English, but she knew how to count money. <laughs> she was a businesswoman and she managed her business well. My dad did finish high school, which is um, called, um, forget what it was called then. Uh, yeah, but he did finish high school, but he was also really a very intelligent person. And they made their money from business and just being really um, focused and hardworking. Yeah. And they clearly inspired you with a tremendous amount of confidence and, and great self-esteem, it sounds. They did. They did. I watched my parents, and they were just the perfect examples you can think of. They had a wonderful relationship together. They nurtured us. They taught us good values, good morals, and it was just an amazing childhood that I would never, ever even wish for anything better. I had the best childhood any child could dream of. So we've talked about relationships. We've talked about the confidence and the self-esteem that your parents instilled in you, your uncle who was the neurosurgeon, your your dad who just doted and loved upon you, and, and you are here. You have a successful uh, pediatric practice here in Atlanta. What's your daily life like? Oh, my daily life is... <laughs> Busy, busy, but I try to get it all in by prioritizing, by saying no to, you know, to events that I know I just can't make. I'm a very organized person. I work on lists, so I journal and I make lists every evening and try to just put them in order of priority because I, you know, I work part time in the office, but I'm still hands on with managing the practice, the other physicians who work for me. My older daughter's in college, so, you know, she's fine, but I text and call her every day. My younger one's in middle school, so I ask for help also. I have a sitter who helps me, a personal assistant who helps me with, you know, my life coordinating, all that. So I just really try to stay organized, and I prioritize a lot, and I say no a lot, and that's something I feel we should all, you know, try to do. It's easier said than done, though. You know that. That is true. Yeah, that is true. But, you know, with practice, it gets easier. So have you always been this organized? Yes, I was. Yeah, I got those qualities really from both my parents, but especially my dad. So then why did you need to write this? It seems like you were already like on that path. Or is it to share with the rest of us who need the help? The latter, the second reason. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, that book just came about. It was like a spiritual experience. I didn't plan to write it. It just started to flood into my brain. I'd be taking a shower, Condis, and thoughts would flood into my brain, and I'd have to step out to to put them down so I didn't forget them. So I feel this was inspiration from my dad, really, this book, and that's why I dedicated it to him. So when you talk about light and darkness, um, what does that mean? Light and darkness. We see that every day in our lives. Um, Light is what is positive and nourishing to our spirits. Light is just meeting you today and saying hello to you was light to me. It was because this is a great opportunity for me. Darkness, everything you can think of. Illness, natural disasters, the loss of a loved one. political instability, all that is darkness. Light is anything that feels nourishing to our body and to our spirit. 
So this week in our community, actually in communities across the United States, there were students, children who wanted to protest and demonstrate because they feel as if the adults don't care about them anymore. And and specifically, they were protesting uh, gun violence. I wonder, from your perspective as a pediatrician who interacts with more than just your own kids, how do you encourage them, teach them to bring light into what many might feel is still somewhat right now kind of a pretty dark world? Our children? Yes. Oh, yes. Teach them to have their own voice. I encourage my kids to have their own voice, to communicate whatever it is they're feeling as long as it's kind. It's not going to hurt anyone and it's respectful. It's very important that whatever comes out of our mouths you know, it's kind and respectful to people, but kids are the future. Our kids are going to make the difference to the state of this world. I say it all the time, without kids being at the forefront of world peace, then it's never going to happen. So I, I teach my kids, I tell them, whatever you're passionate about, education is really important, but do not forget your passion. Speak up, have a voice, talk. Put your hand up in class if you have an opinion and let it be heard because keeping it within you isn't going to make a difference. So that's how our kids are going to bring light. And I'm so glad with everything that's happening now because now they're having peaceful protests and they're speaking their minds. I see them on TV all the time. And it makes me really hopeful and optimistic for the world because kids are finally speaking what they feel. And it's making a difference, as we can all see. Doctor, how important is your faith to you? extremely important it's very important to me and it always has been is that something that also came from your parents yes and just to say i was a muslim i was raised muslim Uh, my parents are muslim my family half my siblings remained muslim half became christian but i was muslim i went to arabic school beside my formal education i learned how to speak and write arabic i read the quran the holy book uh, the muslim holy book the quran back 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 to back many times but when i turned 25 actually before then i had a seed in me my my older sister had um become a Christian and she used to read her Bible. I would read my Quran and we were home together and I would just look at her like, "Mm, you know, she's, I kind of like her religion too. But anyway, I finally did decide to become a Christian when I got married at the age of 25 because my spouse at the time was Christian and we both decided we wanted to bring up our kids in the Christian faith. So I've been a Muslim and now I'm a Christian and they're really not very far apart, but I know that's beyond the scope of today's discussion. (laughs) I may have to have you back for that (laughs) because you immediately prompt me to ask you, having been raised in the Muslim faith and now being a practicing Christian, what is it that you think many people misunderstand about people of Muslim faith? There's, There's so many misunderstandings. There's so many assumptions. There's so many false beliefs about the, the, the practice of Islam. Islam is a peaceful religion. I'm telling you, I still know some of the prayers and when I recite them to my kids, they're like, mom, say it again, say it again. It sounds so cool. But really, to be honest, Islam is a peaceful religion. So there's really, there's good people in every faith and there's not so good people in every faith. So the way we really portray Islam is really wrong. And if we, how do you find out? How do you find the information? Read the book. It's okay. I've read books on Buddhism. I've read books on Hinduism. I've read books of almost every faith. So if you feel you really want to know what Islam is about, buy a Quran and read it. Read it in your private time. But Islam is a peaceful faith. It really is.
And and yet you and your husband uh, are Christians, and you're raising your children as Christians, and clearly that's made a difference to you in your life and in the life of your family. Oh, yes, it has. I'm no longer married. I've been divorced for about nine nine years. Oh, but I'm yes, sorry. Oh, that's okay. My ex was, is Christian. My kids are being raised in the Christian faith. I'm Christian. I do accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, that's I do. That's the way. That's the yes, way. Yes, I do. I do. I'm, I'm Christian. Yes, and I'm very happy being Christian. But I also respect other people's faiths. What is it that you want readers to take away from your book? Permanent happiness, the only way to find peace, joy, and your life-given purpose. I want readers to know that life is beautiful. Honestly, it is. We cannot control a lot of things that happen outside of us, but we can control our inner self. It's possible to find permanent happiness. It's possible to have that inner peace just by focusing on ourselves and changing ourselves from inside out. If everybody on the face of the earth did this, I'm telling you what a transformation we would see. So I want readers to know that it's possible to have peace. It's possible to have permanent happiness. And it's possible to be of service to others and change this world for the better. What is your life-given purpose, Dr. Ojikutu? Ah, my life-given purpose is to be the best that I can be. So that, so that I can help other people be their best. I feel we were all put on this earth to help other people. That's why there's, we're, it's not just one of us, obviously. But my purpose is to make myself into that best person that I can be, that God has put me on the earth to be, so that I can influence other people positively. Not just kids, not just women. Obviously, I'm passionate about women. I'm passionate about kids. But really, if it's a young boy who's listening today who's 13 who would like to be inspired by me, sure, yes, send me a message. But I am here to help other people live their best lives. What has been the one experience uh, that you've had in your life that really taught you the most about yourself and put you on this journey to do what you're doing in the community to care for the children that you care for and to reach out in a much broader sense through permanent happiness. I'll talk about three key events. There's a lot more, but the three key events, the first one, unfortunately, was the passing of my sister who was right before me. My, she was six years older than me. She died of cancer about, I'm guessing now, must be about 12 years ago now. That hit me real hard. And then, obviously, I've talked about my dad. My dad's passing also in 2015 taught me that we're not here forever. It really taught me that, okay, yeah, boy, you're not, you know, death is real and you're not going to be here forever. So it just gave me this awakening that I had to do what I needed to do and fulfill my purpose. And the last one was my divorce, really. And that really was positive, believe it or not, for me, because I'm like, you know what, you can still find happiness even if your relationship breaks down and it's fine you know it was painful but you can still overcome any kind of pain or any kind of disappointment because here I am today I'm happier than I've ever been I'm I'm single I mean I'm dating I'm in a relationship right now but I'm happy and I feel really fulfilled so I know you've got some events coming up Uh, tell us where our listeners can come and find you perhaps meet you get a copy of your book Yes, that would be wonderful. So the first one coming up is on March 24th at the Tall Tales Bookshop in the Toko Hills Shopping Center, and that starts at 2 p.m. And then the one after that is on April 21st 
at the Bookmiser Bookstore, which is in Marietta, and that's in the evening. That starts at 6 p.m. And there's a few more events. There's about four or five more coming up in April and May, but all the details are on my website. And what's that web address? It is dryabo.com. D-R-I-Y-A-B-O.com. The book is Permanent Happiness, the only way to find peace, joy, and your life-given purpose. I hope you guys have gotten a, a little look inside how one person right here in Atlanta is doing it. Do you have social media, Dr. Oji Kutu? Oh, yes. I'm on all the channels. So I'm on Instagram, and that's um, at Dr. Yabo. I'm on Facebook. That's my full name, Yabo Ojikutu. I'm on Twitter. I believe that's also at Dr. Yabo on YouTube, on Pinterest, everywhere. I'm everywhere. But <laughs> if you go on my website, you'll see all the channels there. All right. And the, again, the book is Permanent Happiness, The Only Way to Find Peace, Joy, and Your Life-Given Purpose. The author is Atlanta pediatrician Dr. Iyabo Ojikutu. This has been fun. And congratulations on this book. Sorry for the struggle that had to come that, that pushed it out of you. But through your experience, it seems that uh, many of us are going to, to be that much better, stronger, and on the right path. Yes, yes, absolutely. We can all find that permanent happiness. It's possible. This has been great. Thank you very much. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.